Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of a Guna podcast brought to you by the 90 Min Football family. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, back from Seville, back in this miserable old country where I have to wear a jacket, I have to wear a jumper, and I'm contemplating turning the heating on. That's the levels that we're talking about. Um, and when you compare that to what I was kind of experiencing over the last few days, it is a little bit depressing. Uh, it did rain in Seville um, during the match and it did rain the following morning. But outside of that, the weather was really, really comfortable, really, really nice. And I know I always start by talking about the weather, but as I've said to you guys for a number of years now, I am someone whose moods are affected by the weather. So I thought it worth uh, touching on and discussing. Uh, a big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. As you've probably gathered by the title and based on the thumbnail, we are going to do a bit of a deep dive today into Martin Erdegaard's form because it's been a big discussion and a big talking point now for a number of weeks. We're going to start off by answering the question, is Martin Erdegaard's form actually that bad? And then we're going to figure out why it may have just tailed off slightly. Because when I say, is it that bad? What I mean is, does it warrant a big song and dance being made about it. And I think there is a debate there because Martin Odegaard, generally speaking for Arsenal, has been great. Everybody has dips in form. Everybody will go off the boil, um, you know, from time to time. So what I want to do is just figure out what kind of response his form deserves, whether maybe some people are overdoing it, maybe even we're overdoing it right here. We'll, we'll get into that discussion and that debate. and then. We're going to break down some of the reasons why he may be operating at a slightly lower level at this moment in time. Um, really, really looking forward to this one. I've been looking forward to getting back to normal uh, surroundings when it comes to podcasting, because when you're trying to do it on the move and on the road and you haven't got the right equipment and all the rest of it, it can be a little bit difficult. It can be a little bit long winded. And obviously, I didn't have the ability while we were out in Seville uh, to be able to do the stream live, which I hate because I love doing it live, because then I get to interact with you guys, which is a massive part um, of what this podcast is about. Anyway, before I move forward, if you haven't done so already, please do, guys, leave a like on the video. It really, really does help. And if you're brand new to the channel, well, then please do subscribe, because we are just 30 subscribers away, 3-0 from hitting that amazing milestone that we've been working towards for quite a while. How I would love to get there in the coming week. I think that's achievable. 30 subscribers within a week. I think we can do that. So please subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. But anyway, let's um, kick off by talking uh, Martin Odegaard. We are going to talk about some other subjects a little bit later on. We'll talk Albert Stoivenberg, AirPod Albert, as he's known. We'll discuss the Christmas fixture list. We'll talk a little bit as well about Sandro Tonali's ban after it was revealed today that he will be banned now for 10 months. Is that too strong? Has he got away with it lightly? We'll get into that discussion a little bit later on in the programme, which I'm very, very much uh, looking forward to. Anyway, right, without further ado, let's talk Martin Odegaard. And I guess the best place to start is, you know, trying to figure out and, and trying to assess whether his form is actually as bad as some people are making it out to be at this moment in time. So let's have a quick look here. Um, let me just zoom this in for the benefit of those of you watching 
uh, the program because I want you to be able to read the numbers, obviously. So Martin Odegaard so far has played 14 games for Arsenal this season. Um, three in the Champions League, nine in the Premier League, uh, one in the EFL Cup where he came on for just eight minutes. And then, of course, the Community Shield is included and factored in to this breakdown. In the Champions League, three appearances, one goal. In the Premier League, nine appearances, three goals and one assist, meaning that Martin Odegaard's numbers look like this. A total of 14 games played, four goals and one assist. Now, let me be clear. I know, believe me, more than most people, that you can't judge a player's performance levels solely based on this. You know, there'll be other factors. How well is he pressing? How well is he passing? How well is he creating? How important is he in terms of giving us that rhythm and that drive that Martin Odegaard has become renowned for giving us over the past couple of years? I recognise that you can't just come up with the statistics here in terms of outputs, i.e. goals and assists, and say, well, actually, this looks quite reasonable. Therefore, there's no cause for concern and there's no reason to even be having this debate or discussion. I do believe that Martin Odegaard's form has dropped in the last few weeks. Um, as I say, we're going to try and get to the bottom of why. But when you look at that on the surface, it's by no means disastrous. And I think that's really, really important. One goal every three games for a player that is playing in a, shall we say, creative midfield position. Although I think the balance of our midfield this season being different has actually slightly altered Martin Odegaard's role. And I just wonder if that's playing a part as well. We'll get into that um, in a little bit. But first of all, I want to know from you guys in the chat, is Martin Odegaard's form, in your opinion, that bad? To the point where people are making a massive song and dance about him um, over the last few weeks. Um, let's have a look what uh, what people are saying in the chat. Um, uh, hold on. Randolph Spaghetti, who uh, doesn't seem to be Martin Odegaard's biggest fan, says, for a captain who was subbed over 30 times last season, I'm far from convinced this is down to poor form. But no doubt people will say it's down to party being injured or Jorginho's fault. He then goes on to say, four weeks ago, Harry, you were claiming he's world class. Now he's disappeared and been hooked twice in four days. So because I believe that Martin Odegaard is a world class talent, that means that I can never say his form's dipped. Is that what you're is that what you're saying to me? That I can't ever say that anybody's levels dropped even slightly if I think they're a world class talent. That is a load of nonsense. An absolute load of nonsense. Thierry Omri was a world class talent. Did you catch me um sort of disputing that or, or claiming that that was false after he missed a glorious chance in the UEFA Champions League final? No, you, you don't judge players on such small sample sizes. And just because I think that Martin Odegaard's level has dropped a little bit recently, it doesn't mean that I have to go back on my view and on my opinion that he is a world-class talent. Why do we have to be so reactionary? The purpose of this episode is to try and get a bit of an understanding, get a bit of a feel for some of the reasons why that form has dipped in the way it has. Um, Goon Gang says, uh, Martin's heat map is mad. Imagine expecting um, to keep high-pressed captain vibes 24-7. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Joey says that he is world-class. Every player dips in form, no doubt. He is our captain, and I don't see him being relinquished of that title 
in quite some time. I agree with that as well. Uh, Andre says, I have been following him for years and I've seen that more often than not, he really doesn't play well in rain. Also, it might be because of the national team losing. So the rain point, I'm not going to take, like in terms of, I'm not going to sit here and use that as an excuse for him. I don't think he should be given a pass because of the weather conditions. Every player on the pitch um, in Seville the other night had to deal with the rain coming down as it was. That's that's part and parcel of being a footballer, right? So I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to jump on that one. The national team thing, you know, did it feel like a bit of a punch in the gut? The fact that Norway got the result that they did, which was very, very disappointing for them. Yeah, you know, possibly, potentially, but you know, at the end of the day, you got to be able to put that behind you and you got to be able to block that kind of thing out when you return to playing for your club and um, and when you're expected to lead a club in the way that Martin Odegaard is expected to lead Arsenal now, given he wears the armband. Colin says his press is outstanding and he's playing a different role. He is missing party. So I agree with that. He's playing a slightly different role bit and we'll, we'll get onto that um, in a little bit. Uh, what else have we got here? I'm just trying to... Um, to pick out some comments that maybe we we haven't touched on. I don't want to repeat myself, so I'm trying to um, sort of just scan through them at the moment. Um, Matthew says, uh, first time in the chat, uh, joining us from Canada. Welcome, mate. Good to see you here. He says, Odegaard is still one of the best off-the-ball players in the team, maybe the league. Benching him would be bad for his confidence. Let him play out his struggle. So I agree that the solution is not always to take someone out of the firing line. There are some players that need that when things get so bad, you know, you can make a case that somebody at times needs that. I don't think that's the case with Martin Odegaard. I back him. Uh, I support him. I think he's good enough to come through this and play through what is a minor dip in form. And let's, let's have it right. And and the reason I, I want to highlight that point, the fact that it is just a minor dip in form. Uh, let me bring up for you um the uh the sort of run of premier league fixtures that we've been on okay so if we go you know through our premier league games so far one two three four five six seven eight nine of them this is how it looks so on the second week of the season on the 21st of august martin odegaard scored the penalty kick at crystal palace that won us the game if you take it on to the 23rd uh, of september he scored a goal against Manchester United in our 3-1 win. A wonderful finish from the edge of the box. Skip forward another couple of games and we go to the Bournemouth game on the 23rd. Um, I beg your pardon, on the 30th of September. Um, Man United was on the 3rd of September, not the 23rd. If I said that, I'm reading these American dates. They put it the other way around. But anyway, Bournemouth, Martin Odegaard scored one and assisted one in a 4-0 win for Arsenal. He's only not scored or assisted in games against Manchester City and Chelsea in the Premier League. You know, in terms of since he got his last goal or assist. So it's not like he's gone on this long old drought in the Premier League where he's not contributed in any way, shape or form. This is a relatively short drought as far as droughts go, if you want to call it that. So I think that the reaction to this has been a little bit overreactionary. And I think that actually when you look at this, and I, I know I felt this when I looked at it, you know, at the beginning I was thinking, yeah, you know what? He hasn't played well for for a few weeks now. And, you know, I think there's still a case to be made that he's not his all-round game is not quite as effective as it normally is or can be. But then when I looked at this, I was a little bit surprised because I just thought to myself, well, maybe 
we are reacting a little bit too much then. Maybe we are overreacting to the point where we're almost allowing our mind to play tricks on us by sort of suggesting that actually this is a real massive crisis um, for which, you know, Martin Odegaard should be criticised and, and, and that we really need to think about this more and, and more deeply. If I take it to the Champions League alone, then again, you know, we've only played three Champions League games this season. One of them was a 2-1 away defeat in Lons, and I thought everybody um, in a lot of that game was pretty bad. Um, you know, he scored in the 4-0 win over PSV Eindhoven. I thought he had a great game that night, by the way. And of course, he he didn't score or assist in the uh, trip to Seville, which took place just a couple of nights ago. So actually, when you look at it, you know, it, it's not something that stretches back a long way to the point where we need to really, really get on his back. Uh, Foluso says, I have no problem with Odegaard, form or not. Um, Dale Carragher says that we made a big deal about his 15 non-Premier League, uh, non-penalty goals last season. If you remove penalties um, and you look at the last 14 games, it's two goals and one assist. Okay, I take that point on board. It's a very, very good point, by the way. Thank you for raising it. Um, but again, you know, two games, two goals and one assist in 14 games. It's still not like massive alarm bells for me because it you know it would it goes back to the point I made earlier on you don't just judge somebody's performance solely on how many goals or assists they scored so this is a double-edged sword in terms of an argument right because on the one hand you go well actually his goal record and, and assist record this season isn't that bad so why are we making a big deal of it but then on the flip side I understand why people are looking at other aspects of his performance and think that maybe it's not quite at the same uh, level that we're we're used to. Colin says he's world-class. Uh, MV uh, says uh, a lot of delusional fans. Martin is world-class. Jag Singh makes a great point in the chat. It was on my notes, and I'm going to come to it in detail. So I'll save that one uh, for a bit later on. Um, Mark Jerome makes a really similar point as well, um, which I want to get into. So look, let's get into those points uh, without further ado. Uh, before you lot all spoil my content by giving away the answers in the live chat. I'm just kidding. But just a quick reminder before we do that, if you haven't done so already, leave a like on the video and subscribe uh, to the channel if your brand's banking new. It really, really does help. And as I said, right at the top of the show, we're just 30 subscribers away from that magical milestone here on YouTube. So please do subscribe if you haven't done so already. Right. So what are some of the reasons then for Martin Odegaard's dip in form? And to be clear, because I know that I've been dancing around a little bit on this episode of the podcast so far, but to be clear, my view on Martin Odegaard's form is that it has dipped, um, not to the point where I'm sitting there saying drop him, not to the point where I'm massively concerned about it, not to the point where I think he should be replaced in the team, but I do acknowledge that his performances haven't been quite as effective as they have been um, in recent times and obviously, when you set the bar very, very high, which Martin Odegaard's been able to do over the last 12 months or so, the minute there is a dip, it is going to be obvious. People are going to pick up on it and therefore it becomes a natural discussion point. But I think the team in general is struggling a bit in the creative side of the game. And that can be, you know, packaged up as being partly on Martin Odegaard because not only is he the club captain and, and one of the leaders sort of 
in terms of what his responsibilities entail. But he is one of the big creative forces that Mikel Arteta has in his side. He is one of the players that makes us tick. He is someone who is renowned for scoring goals and creating goals and getting us into the final third and unpicking defences and all the rest of it. So when I talk about the team struggling creatively, of course, Martin Odegaard, as an individual, bears some responsibility for that. But I think when I look across the whole team right now, I see that problem with a lot of players. And I see that problem impacting a lot of players to the point where it's prompted me to look at some of the wider reasons as to why that might be. Now, Saka, Jesus and Martinelli haven't played an awful lot of football together this season. And I do think that that has impacted us creatively. And it's great to have those guys back, although uh, Gabriel Jesus, who's due to have a scan on the injury he picked up in uh, Seville the other night, uh, could be missing now for a period of time, which is another kick in the in the gut. It feels like we haven't had the best players available anywhere near enough of the time so far this season, which has led to some disjointed performances, which has led to um, a lack of rhythm, which has led to a lack of cohesion, I think, at times. But ultimately, we're still punching high up in the Premier League. We're still in a good position now in our Champions League group. So the positive should be that you take from that is actually what Arsenal have been able to do is, despite all of those things, keep churning out results. I think a big part of Martin Odegaard's drop in form is the absence of Thomas Partey. Now, I really, really do believe this. And I think that although Declan Rice has been amazing, there are some fundamental differences in the way that Declan Rice um, and Thomas Partey play. And I think the fact that um, you're seeing that, it's meant that we play the game in a slightly different way. And when you play the game in a slightly different way, what you end up with is, you know, different patterns of play. You know, you end up in a situation where, you know, something that you did so well last season has slightly changed now. And as a result of that, people are still trying to understand it. People are still trying to get their head around it. And how many times have we had the discussion in the early weeks of this season about whether or not Mikel Arteta has overcomplicated it? That's been a really popular conversation, isn't it? And, and you can put a number of sort of subtopics into that category. So, you know, we talked at the start of the season about Partey playing at right back and Gabriel Magalhaes not being in the team. Was that Mikel Arteta overcomplicating things? You could talk about the fact that sometimes Rice has played as a six and sometimes he's played as an eight. Has that overcomplicated things? Did the buying of Eden Hazard and the fact that we spent so much money mean that Mikel Arteta felt under pressure to play him? Um, and, and to justify that by, therefore, he was trying to shoehorn him into a team. It didn't quite work as naturally as we'd want it to. And that affected us. I think there are so, so many debates. You know, Jesus playing from the wing with Nketiah through the middle rather than playing out and out wingers like Reese Nelson when they're available. There are so many subcategories that you can put under the category of, you know, Arsenal's uh, lack of creativity and whether or not Mikel Arteta has made the situation a little bit too complex, perhaps. Um, why did I, did I say Hazard? What did I say Hazard? Or did I say Havertz? I should have said Havertz, I think. Uh, apparently I said Eden Hazard in the chat. Sorry, I, I'm tired. Can you claim jet lag after a flight from Seville? <laughs> oh my God. Uh, apologies if I did say that. I, I don't even know what I said. I just went into 
um, autopilot. Look how many of you are saying it. Hazard. Did you say Eden Hazard, Harry? Eden Hazard? Hazard? Eden Hazard? Sorry. Anyway, the point I'm trying to make stands um, that, you know, there is this argument that we've overcomplicated things. And that is a, a wider discussion. David Raya, you know, is a good example of that. You know, bringing him in, some people will tell you that that's wrong and that Mikel Arteta shouldn't have done that. And that's added to our list of problems and all the rest of it. So, look, there's loads and loads to unpack here. But I do think Thomas Partey's absence has been a big problem uh, for Martin Odegaard because he plays the game in a different way to Declan Rice. When Thomas Partey receives the ball in that deep six position, his first thought is to progress it. His first thought is, how can I break the lines? How can I get it into the feet of a Saka or an Odegaard? Not a Hazard, a Saka or an Odegaard, nice and quickly. And very often you see him find those passes and you see him execute those passes brilliantly. How many times have you seen Thomas Partey get the ball, take a touch, have a little glance up to his right and ping a ball out to Bukayo Saka. How many times have you seen him sort of drop the shoulder, receive the ball in the half turn, and then as a result, lure in a couple of midfielders and just pop it in between them into the feet of Martin Odegaard, putting him into an area from which he can carry the ball, an area from which he can inflict damage. That's a big, big feature of Thomas Partey's game, and that's why he's been so brilliant for us. But of course, we've been without him a lot this season because once again, injuries... Uh, are wreaking havoc on the Ghanaian. Declan Rice playing in that sixth role gives you other things. He's incredibly mobile, more mobile than anybody probably in this Arsenal team in terms of the amount of ground that he can cover, not just because he's quick across the grass, but because he's big, strong, powerful, and has that ability to recover in situations that others just don't have the ability um, to recover from. So, you know, Declan Rice is, is wonderful in his own right, but he isn't Thomas Partey. When Declan Rice sort of progresses the ball, it tends to be him sort of picking it up and driving with it at his feet. And that is different. That is a different ability. That is a different skill. And whilst it's equally effective in a lot of ways in terms of luring people in and in terms of them being able to pop the ball around corners and finding people in space, that's great. But it's different. And it doesn't, I think, suit Martin Odegaard as much. I want to see. Um, I want to see when everybody's fit and available, Partey sitting in the six and Rice playing as the eight. Because I think Partey's absence, as Paratosh says in the chat, has not just impacted on the game of Martin Odegaard, but I think it's impacted on the game of Bukayo Saka as well. Because we're not working the ball out to that right-hand side in that half space in that inside right channel that Odegaard likes to pop in so frequently, anywhere near as effectively. So Thomas Partey's absence has to be a factor here. Now, that's not to excuse Martin Odegaard of heavy touches, of, um, you know, bad decision-making, the the poor execution of, of passes, et cetera, et cetera. But it is a factor, I think, in terms of, um, of his game. Also, somebody referenced earlier on uh, the balance in midfield, the fact that that's changed. And I mentioned Havertz, not Hazard, to be clear, um, who has played in the left eight position at times. Fabio Vieira's played in the left eight position at times. We understand that the idea is for um, Emile Smith-Rowe to do that at points as well. None of them are the same as Granit Xhaka. None of them are the same profile of player. Every single one of those players that I've just mentioned is far more forward-thinking and attack-minded than Granit Xhaka was. Now, 
Mikel Arteta will have done that deliberately because he probably felt that whoever was playing in that left eight position had scope to get forward more. And so why not play someone who's more accomplished in the final third, who's more accomplished as an attacker? It makes sense in theory, but what it does do is upset the balance of the midfield. Why? Because where Martin Odegaard had little responsibility in terms of tracking back, yes, he would lead the press and he would aggressively close people down. And, you know, he would be the front of our defence, if you like. He never really had to worry too much about sprinting back because Ben White was there um, at right back, who is able to tuck inside and get into that narrow position just to buy the team some time. Bukayo Saka, incredibly hard working down that right-hand side. Um, And the midfield balance was very, very good because of the personnel that we had available. But then you take Granit Xhaka out of that and you put Havertz in or you put Vieira in or even Smith Rowe in and the balance changes because now there is a greater responsibility on the the two eights to be a little bit more defensive minded at times because there isn't that Granit Xhaka insurance that Martin Odegaard had before. Odegaard could know that if someone needed to tuck in, if somebody had to drop in alongside Partey, it would be Granit Xhaka. It wasn't very often him. Yes, he'd cover the ground and he'd work hard and he'd, he'd do what he, he felt he could. But he always knew that Granite Xhaka was the one that would bear the bigger, the greater defensive responsibility should one of the two eights have to tuck in alongside the six. But with Havertz there, it's probably caused Martin Odegaard to be a little bit less aggressive in his positioning, a little bit less aggressive in terms of when to go and when not to go. I think all of that is is key here in assessing why his form has dropped off. I think Bukayo Saka hasn't played anywhere near as well as we know he can um, this season. And I've just said that maybe some of that's down to the Thomas Partey situation, which it could be. But Odegaard and Saka work in tandem. Those two work brilliantly together. So if one's not working, then the other one's probably not going to work to the same degree either. The combination play between those two was excellent, but also as well, and this is a really simple thing, but it's such a big thing in football. Those two, Odegaard and Saka, have become the focus of every opposition side we face because they know what they're capable of. They know what they're able to do, and they will look to close them down and limit them at every opportunity. And so we have to find different solutions. We have to pull people down the other side. We have to try and create spaces in other ways. They are responsible as players for finding solutions, other ways of um, uh, of getting around people, other ways of creating space for themselves, other ways of um, gaining those small advantages so that they can make sure that they remain effective in games. But I think all of those factors I've mentioned are key. So I think Partey's absence is a big one. And the differences in Partey and Rice's games, it's not to slag off Rice before people get on my back. Not doing that for a second. I just think his game is different. And that's impacting Odegaard. I think the balance in midfield generally with a, a Havertz or a Vieira or a Smith Rowe in there has changed things. I think that Saka's form has impacted on Martin Odegaard. And I think generally speaking as a team, we've not been anywhere near as creative as we should be and need to be. I actually think that one of the reasons that Jorginho is getting a go at the moment, and I don't, I'm not going to sit here and say he's doing this amazingly well, but I think one of the reasons that he's in the side at the moment is because Mikel Arteta feels that if it's only Rice at the base, then we don't have that ability to progress the ball into the eights 
as well as we should. Because it's not a weakness of Declan Rice's, but it's just not his game. Not to the same level as Thomas Partey. Yet, Jorginho, who is a more accomplished passer of the ball, you know, may just be able to do that job to a greater effect. So I think that's a big part of the reason that Jorginho is in there alongside Rice at the moment. And along and a lot of the reason as to why Jorginho has been playing at the base to try and increase that productivity, that creativity. The other thing is Zinchenko coming into midfield hasn't been earning us the same advantages that it did last season. And we could maybe do another show, another episode about his role and, and, and how effective that has been of late and whether or not we need to sort of rethink that. I think there's so much that you can factor in here. But listen, ultimately, Martin Odegaard is a great player. He's our club captain. We should be behind him and supporting him. And I trust him to come good. But I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, the form hasn't dipped at all. It has. I think we can all see that. But at the same time, I always think that before you go off on a rant and start slagging someone off, you think about the circumstances around them and how that may be impacting their performance so that then you're in a better place, I think, in your mind to judge how bad this actually is and how much of this is a, a, a consequence or a result of some of the things that are going on around him. So I do think that's really, really important. Um, Paritosh says there are very few uh, that can vertically link like Partey. I completely agree. I completely agree. Okay, look, we're going to take a really, really short pause and then uh, we're going to talk AirPod, Albert, uh, just quickly. We're going to talk Sandro Tonali's ban. Just quickly, we'll discuss the December fixtures as well. Um, and then we'll take some of your questions from the live chat. So don't go anywhere. Remember, like the video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. Be back in just a moment. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min football family. Uh, as ever, I'm your host, Harry Simi. We're talking Martin Odegaard today. Well, we've discussed Martin Odegaard today. Uh, we're going to move on now, but we'll maybe come back to it if it's um, a popular theme or subject uh, in the questions. Um, just quickly, let me just touch on the December uh, fixture list for Arsenal. Actually, it runs uh, over into January as well. Uh, there is a, a small winter break this year, um, which gives the Arsenal players a, a good couple of weeks, actually, uh, to recover. Some of them, though, will be involved in national tournaments. So, yep, Thomas Partey, Takira, Tomiyasu probably as well. So uh, we've got to be aware of that. Mohamed Elneny as well. How could I forget the Egyptian prince? But anyway, looking at our December fixture list on Tuesday the 5th, we play Luton Town away. Uh, that's a 8.15 kickoff. Our game against Aston Villa at Villa Park has been moved to a 5.30 kickoff on Saturday the 9th. That is not good. You fancy Unai Emery, don't you, to cause us a problem there. Uh, Sunday the 17th, uh, we play Brighton at home, 2pm kickoff. Saturday the 23rd of December, so just a couple of days before Christmas, we go away to Liverpool. That's a half five kickoff. Our game against West Ham United at Emirates Stadium, which I think was originally scheduled for Boxing Day, if I'm not mistaken, uh, has been moved to Thursday the 28th. That's an 8.15 kickoff. Uh, Sunday the 31st of December, New Year's Eve, we play Fulham away, kickoff at 2pm. And then on Saturday, the 20th of January, uh, we play Crystal Palace at home, 12.30pm kickoff. So some changes to the schedule. Make sure you uh, bring yourself uh, up to speed with those so that you don't end up double booking and promising the missus that you'll go shopping or something like that. Um, yeah, make sure that you're, you're right across uh, all the changes 
Um, I'm telling you for your own good. Anyway, um, let's quickly talk about AirPod Albert, as he's affectionately known by the Arsenal fans. Albert Stoivenberg, he is Arteta's right-hand man. He is someone that has uh, worked very, very closely with Mikel, someone that has over three decades worth of coaching experience at a really, really high level. He's a fantastic coach. I often think about how his experience has probably helped Mikel Arteta to get Arsenal to where they are in a short period of time because, you know, Mikel Arteta doesn't have the experience. He, he could have a head packed full of brilliant ideas, but sometimes you need someone that's been around the block, that's seen it, done it, just to help you implement those things and, and help you get the right results, help you manage potentially difficult situations, all the rest of it. I think he has been massively influential and important. Now, I'm not saying he is leaving because I don't know that he is. Um, but there have been reports today linking him with the Ajax job. Uh, Louis van Gaal, who is advising at Ajax, who are going through a really bad time at the moment, um, is a big fan of AirPod Alberts and, and wants him uh, to come in at Ajax. Now, listen, I don't know how this is going to play out. What I will say is, of course, I do not want him to go because I think he's great. But at that same time, I think that if you are Albert Stoivenberg, if you are Dutch, now he is from Rotterdam apparently, but I don't think that this even plays a part in this particular conversation. Any Dutchman would jump at the opportunity to manage Ajax, especially someone who is a coach at the moment. It would be a promotion for Albert Stoivenberg, but not just a promotion, the opportunity to manage an institution in his home country. Ajax Amsterdam are a huge, huge football club. And if they have identified Albert, Airpod Albert, as the man, then I genuinely wish him all the best if that's what he decides to do. Because you can't begrudge someone for, for taking that. You just couldn't. Now, I don't know if it's going to happen. I don't know if it's close. I don't know if it's a discussion that's even been had within sort of the Arsenal ranks, you know, is it just paper talk, whatever. But if that opportunity came along and Albert knocked on the on, on Arteta's door and said, look, this is too big for me to turn down. I would expect Mikel Arteta to understand. He did it to Pep Guardiola. You know, a big opportunity came his way. He wanted to take it. He wanted to grab it with both hands and off he went. I would expect Mikel Arteta to understand. And I can't speak for every Arsenal fan, but he would go with my blessings because that is too big a job to turn down. There are other people waiting in the wings at Arsenal, from what we understand. You know, some have suggested that Santi Cazorla could return to the club, which I know the fans would love, but is he the right man from a coaching perspective? That remains to be seen, really, doesn't it? So it's an interesting one to keep an eye on. We lost Steve Round, of course, not so long ago. Um, is Mikel Arteta about to lose uh, one of his other uh, right-hand men, one of his other uh, trusted advisors? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, of course, on that. But yeah, just thought that was an interesting story and wanted to touch on it. Uh, we're going to talk Sandro Tonali uh, in just a minute, and then we're going to take some of your questions um, from the live chat. So start getting them in there now. Um, let's take a really short pause. Uh, we'll do a bit of Tonali, and then it will be your questions for the remainder of the show. So start filling up the chat box. Put a little cue at the beginning of the questions. It just helps me to pick them out from the crowd. Back in just a sec. <laughs> It's been announced today that Sandro Tonali will face a 10-month ban uh, from football, meaning he'll be back in August 
uh, of 2024, having breached the gambling rules. Um, look, listen, we all knew this was coming. I think when I found out that Fajoli's ban was seven months, I, I expected Tonali's to be greater than that because of the fact that he bet on his own clubs. He bet on Brescia. He bet on Milan when he was playing for both of those clubs, which just isn't acceptable. You know, it's, it's just not allowed. So not surprised at the ban. Um, some people have suggested that maybe Milan knew this was coming. Um, and that's why they pushed him out the door the way he did. Because remember, Sandro Tonali didn't really want to leave Milan at that point. Um, he found it quite difficult, I think. I I, I won't dispute that he's, he's settled in to life in Newcastle quite well. And he, he's probably really sort of uh, enjoying it and, you know, has felt the love of the Geordie faithful. But yeah, you know, I just wonder if Milan had an inkling that maybe this was coming uh, down the pipeline. I don't know that. I'm speculating. But hey, anyway, I just wanted to to speak about this just for a little bit because I, th I, I, I don't know how I feel about this stuff, right? So Ivan Tony did it and he got banned and he'll be back now, I think, um, in January. Um, and he'll be uh, ready to play again for Brentford. Now, there is speculation regarding his future. Will he be sold? Will he actually play another game for Brentford? Remains to be seen. But I just think with this whole Tonali thing, and, and it's this, I said the same thing about Tony. It's all good sort of giving them a slap on the wrist for what they've done, for breaking rules. You have to punish people for breaking rules because if you don't, it makes a mockery of them. It, it breeds indiscipline. It damages the integrity of the sport. And what you end up with is people breaking rules because they just think, well, actually, nothing's going to happen to me. So I've got no issue with Sandro Tonali being punished. But I do think that we need to we need to make sure that as a sport, we give those people the support and the help that they need to be able to stop, to be able to stop gambling, because it can become an addiction quite easily and it can have a massive impact on people's lives and the lives of those around them. What I will say is, and, you know, the cynic in me always thinks that when a footballer gets done, you know, I think, well, do you actually have a gambling problem or are you going to portray the situation that way so that you get a more lenient punishment? Possibly. I guess you'll never really know unless you're someone very close to those footballers who understands how it all works. The point I'm trying to make here is that Sandro Tonali, if he has got a problem, needs a bit of support. And it's all good punishing him. You have to punish him. And I'm all in favour of that. But the punishment kind of becomes irrelevant and ineffective if you don't follow it up with the support that they need on the other side. So I think that you have to play a bit of good cop and bad cop here in order to get the best possible outcome. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's sad for Tonali in that he's going to miss a lot of football. Sad for Newcastle fans who were so excited about his arrival. Um, but given what we know and what's come to light, I think it's a fair punishment. And I think that, you know, he just has to get, you know, get it out of the way now. Just get his head down. You know, I think he'll be allowed to train, which will help, obviously. Um, but he just has to focus on, um, you know, the future now. You, you can't cry over spilt milk. There's nothing you can do to go back and change it. Um but yeah, I just wanted to make that point that I think it, I think that the punishment does nothing or means nothing or means very little or it's hollow. It's probably the word I'm talking, uh, I'm looking for. If you don't give him the other side as well, which is the, the care and the, the help that he may or may not need to stop doing this uh, going forward. Anyway, um, right, let's turn our attention to your questions and your thoughts from the live chat box. But before I do that, just going to quickly check in. 
uh, on the likes and all the rest of it. So we've got over a couple of hundred of you with us live right now. Only 79 likes on the board. There's no reason why we shouldn't have 100. And when we started this stream, we were just 30 subscribers away from making that 30K mark that we've been trying to get to for a while. I think we're 29 away now. So please, if you are watching without being subscribed, what are you playing at? Subscribe. Anyway, right, let's um, let's go uh, over to the chat box then. Let's see uh, what you guys are saying. Um, Jalen uh, says, hey, Harry, jumping in late, but is there something in Odegaard's form to do with the amount of touches he gets per game? I've noticed in the last few matches he is towards the bottom for us. I think that's a good point. And I think that that links into the point I was making about the passes maybe not coming to him quickly enough and early enough from deeper areas, which means that our opposition are finding it easier to shut him out of the game. Certainly, um, his touches have been less in recent weeks. But what I did a little bit earlier on before I did this podcast was I wanted to average out what how many touches per game he has and see if that has dropped significantly um, from last season to this season. And it has dropped, but very, very slightly. Not by enough for me to say it's purely down to the touches. But I do agree that, you know, he's probably not receiving the ball in areas from which he can do damage enough anymore. And touches can be a bit of a, a red herring as well. They can be a bit misleading because you can have a ton of touches around the halfway line. But how likely are you to impact in the final third from there? So I think, you know, we've got to always look at this, these statistics with with the right context around them. I always think that I go by what my eyes tell me and I use statistics to either confirm or, um, you know, confirm support or disprove some of my points. But I don't start from the statistics. I start with what I see and then I move to the statistics to help me develop or flesh out that particular opinion. So I did look at this earlier on today and I think, on average, last season, he had about 60 touches per game, I think. Um, and it was about 59 at the start of this season. Now, obviously, it is early, right? We're only nine league games in, and that was only factoring in Premier League. But um, there is something in that. But I think also it could be about where he's receiving the ball. You know, if he's receiving the ball in the corner of the penalty box, he's much more likely to hurt you than if he's receiving it inside the centre circle. So there are, um, you know, there are various facets to that. But I think, yeah, he's not been getting on the ball enough in the right areas. That's that's clear. Um, Mafia Boss is asking about Everton's potential 12-point deduction. I think that's what the Premier League have recommended. Um, but I, I, I haven't followed the latest on that over the last few hours. Look, they've got one charge. And if they're going to get a 12-point deduction, what on earth have Manchester City got coming their way? Are they going to end up in the Conference League South? Conference League North, I should say? Maybe. Um, it just, it drives me mad. You know, I'm not saying that City are definitely guilty and I'm not saying that Everton are guilty, but it's just funny how one club, um, you know, all the talk is about them. Meanwhile, there's another one with 115 odd charges in the background. Um, just kind of um, just getting on with life as if nothing's happened. Uh, Benjamin says, Harry, do you think Havertz deserves to come into the team at the weekend? I feel he's made good on his sub appearances and could cause problems with late runs against Sheffield United. Possibly. Um, it's interesting that he's been coming on in the Odegaard role for a couple of games now. And as you say, I think he's done quite well in that position. Would I be tempted to start him there? Maybe. 
But I just think Mikel Arteta looks at Martin Odegaard and thinks captain, leader, my lieutenant on the pitch. And I think he'll keep picking him um, and uh, and allow him to play his way through whatever problems um, he's going through at the moment. I think with Jesus potentially out at the weekend, there's a big case that says Havertz should play up front over Eddie Nketiah for me. That's where I would put him in the team uh, going into uh, going into the weekend. OK, uh, let's take a few more. Um, just scrolling through, just having a quick read. Um, some of them I'm not going to answer just because um, because we've we've touched on those points, uh, various points in the show. Maybe you've joined a little bit late on the stream or whatever. So I don't want it to be repetitive. It's not that I don't like your questions or, or want to read them. Mario says, do you think we should have gone for Madison instead of Habits? I think that will be the general consensus right now, wouldn't it? Um, I think Havertz was signed because of his versatility as much as anything else. And although Madison is great, uh, you know, he's a player I really like. I think he's fantastic. He wouldn't have been able to play at centre forward for you or from the right or from the left or in the, you know, various different roles. He'd have He's got one role, James Madison, and that's as a creative attack in midfielder. So I think versatility would have been a big uh, a big factor in the decision to sign Havertz over Madison. I'm not even saying that's the right decision. I'm just saying I'm trying to get into the head of the boss and, and trying to figure out why he would have done that. Um, what else have we got in the chat? There was one about Sandro Tonali. Um, should Newcastle still pay his wages? If so, as the offences occurred in Italy, should Milan have a part to pay? Uh, I don't think it worked like that, Steve. I, I I think that Newcastle probably will continue to pay him. I think there might have to be some kind of agreement reached. Um, and uh, and yeah, you know, I, I'm I'm not sure is the answer to that question. Newcastle will be frustrated. They'll be disappointed. There, there'll probably be some kind of insurance policy in place in the event something like this happens that helps Newcastle United to foot the bill while he's not playing, but I, I don't know that for sure. Uh, Juno, just on the Madison point, says, swear he's played out wide too. Yeah, James Madison has played from from the left at times, from the right, but he's never been as effective from those positions as he is in the middle. You know, you can shoehorn anybody into anywhere, but, you know, it's, it's whether they actually gen, generally, genuinely, I should say, have an ability to play in that position. I think Havertz genuinely can play as a centre forward and genuinely can play as a midfielder. And um, again, I'm not saying that it was the call that I'd have even made. I'm just saying that that's what I think was the the deciding factor when Arteta and co were mulling over whether or not it was worth spending 65 million on Kai Havertz. I think versatility was right at the top of the list and was a thing that they were um, banking on him bringing to this team. So, yeah. Right. I am going to leave it there. A big thank you to every single one of you for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Uh, let me know your thoughts on the Odegaard discussion on Airport. I can't even say it. Airpod Albert on Sandra Tonali's ban on the December fixtures. The other point I wanted to make on the December fixtures, which I didn't make at the time and I should have, because that was the whole point. I wanted to talk about it. Chelsea playing on Christmas Eve. That's wrong, isn't it? That's just wrong. Like if you've got Christmas plans, it's just wrong, but it just goes to show that it's all about the TV audience now. And the match-going fans aren't even considered. You know, to travel up to Wolves on Christmas Eve. It's the first Christmas Eve game, I think, in nearly 30 years. There's a reason why that is the case. 
because nobody wants to bloody play him anymore. So why have we gone back to it? It's all about TV. It's all about money. Um, and uh, it's a real, real shame. Anyway, going to leave it there. Thank you all so much for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow with a preview of Arsenal's clash with Sheffield United. We'll talk lineup. Um, we'll uh, we'll have uh, some discussions around whatever ever else pops up in the news. Um, and uh, maybe tomorrow we'll find out whether Gabriel Jesus is available because Mikel Arteta is due to speak to the media. Until then, take care of yourselves. Have a great evening. Enjoy some Europa League action without being stressed about the Arsenal catch. You'll see. Goodbye. (laughs) 